Bringing light, life, and music from across the U.S., this is American Awakening. Hello, hello, hello to you all. We're here, American Awakening. Uh, JK is is out, and Jeff is out as well. Wishing Jeff all the best. I think it's, it's tech issues in Hawaii. And actually, aren't they, are, are they getting the hurricane? Is that what's going on? Uh, yeah, I think so, right? Lord, protect and keep Jeff and Alyssa and the babies and everybody out there. But welcome to the rest of you. JBJ, can you usher us into the presence? Lord, I come. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found, is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need Teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Lord, I need you Lord, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you, Lord, I need you. So 
God, how I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Well, so yes, y'all, here we are again. We've got our fantastic crew member, Andrew Hanauer from One America. Excited to talk with him. Before we do, though, of course, we're going to head to Pastor Joel. What do you have for us, Pastor Joel? What's our dose today? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Great to be with you today. Coming to you from Vermont today. It's uh, it's great to be up here and getting out of some heat uh, for for this Floridian right here. But let me talk today about seasons. Uh, you know, being in Vermont is actually an interesting place to talk about it. Famous for the season of fall and people coming here and seeing the changing of the trees. And you know, there's a lot of talk in Christian circles about this idea of seasons. It's become kind of a buzzword, a cliche even. But there's a real deep truth that I think we should try to discover there because over the course of history and over the course of our lives, this is true. There are seasons and there are cycles and there are things that are happening that seems to be, okay, this is like a time that there's themes and there's things going on. And and this is a time in my life when I I see that something just shifted, something just changed. And and so we refer to them as seasons or cycles because that helps us to to think about them. But I want to encourage us to ask two different questions as we approach this this idea of seasons and cycles. And the first one is to just simply ask the question, what season or cycle am I in? And to ask God to help you see that. Now, I think that we should start personally with what are the seasons or cycles that are part of the people of God that I may be a part of. We, we tend to go straight to our own personal story. And unfortunately, that's kind of a selfish reality, I think, particularly of the American church. But we are part of a bigger story. We're part of the people of God. And if you look at the history of God's people, both in scripture and beyond, you see a number of seasons and cycles. You see wandering and you see purpose. You see oppression and exile and you see you know, city nation building. You see this idea of God's favor and blessing. You see the idea of being really kind of against God or in God's wrath. And so this stuff happens and sometimes it's long cycles. It's 40 years at a time, but we are part of something. And so I think we should be asking, especially right now in America, what are we a part of as God's people that maybe is important for us to take note of? Are there things that are happening? We are here at American Awakening believe that there are definitely some things happening, that this is a new season, that God is desiring to awaken our nation and, and the people of God in our nation and really around the world to say, what is a different vision of being radically together and really seeking God together? So who are we as a people of God? But also then in our personal lives, it is appropriate to ask, what season am I in? And how did I get there? And what brought me to this place? And then as it relates to cycles, how did I get into a cycle that may or may not be of God? And so that leads me to the second question, which is, God, what do you want me to learn? You know, it's easy to be caught up in a cycle that may have nothing to do with anything we did. It could be part of something oppressive, some kind of systemic problem, something that was done to us as a child or in our family. But also sometimes we kick off cycles that are very unhealthy and we enter into seasons that are unhealthy. But even in those seasons, I have found that even though I would not say it's God's fault, God did not do it, he allowed it, that he is still at work and he is present. And there are things that are happening that I should be asking, God, what do you want me to learn? And especially in in the other side of that, in seasons of blessing or healing or wholeness, 
don't just simply sit there and soak it up. Say, God, what do you want me to do in this particular season? So that's the two questions that I wanted to throw out there for, for you who are thinking about, man, something different is happening. I'm moving into a new time in my life. I'm coming out of a certain time. Is where am I? What season or cycle am I in? And the second question is, God, what do you want me to learn? So that's just something for you to both think about and muse on and meditate on. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you as you may be going through something like that. That's your daily dose. Back to you guys. That's good, Joel. That's good. Two things just coming right off that. First of all, if any of you out there missed the Better Together concert, you can head right on to our website. There's a direct link to it on YouTube. Jonathan McReynolds sings the mess out of a song called Cycles. And I'll tell you right now, it, that, I mean, I was, you couldn't see me on camera, but I was there like hands up, like, yes, Cycles, break the Cycles, mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. That was, a, that was a, a great song. And he talks also in the interview following his performance just about, you know, what he was going through when he was writing Cycles. And that, yeah, I mean, we can all go through them. There are all kinds of cycles. And, um, you know, praise God, there's there's freedom, you know, in, in everything that we're going through. There's freedom from those cycles. And, you know, also our theme for today's show is the fight against togetherness. And so many of our stories coming up with Calvin, Andrew, we're talking about, you know, the season that we're in right now, clearly in our nation and the church as well. Um, there is a, there's an all out attack against people coming together. Um, so without further ado, let's kick it over to Calvin. Calvin, how's that being played out today? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that intro, Marissa. Let's start off with Democratic leaders and the White House are expected to meet Monday to resume discussions on a new coronavirus stimulus package, but are reportedly far apart on an agreement. Uh, each side doubled down on a main sticking point in negotiations, the extension of federal enhanced unemployment benefits that expired Friday. Another contentious issue in the talks is additional funding for local and state governments. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer expressed optimism on Sunday, however, saying, We made good progress. There are lots of things that we're still divided on, but we're not close to an agreement yet. But we are making progress, and I'm hopeful that we can get to an agreement. Also, August 3rd marks the one-year anniversary of the deadliest attack on Latinos in modern U.S. history. The mass shooting at an El Paso Walmart on the U.S.-Mexico border took 23 lives on August 3rd, 2019. The shooter wounded more than two dozen people. Hundreds more witnessed the carnage. The gunman allegedly wrote a 2,356-word white supremacist rant and posted it online before driving more than 600 miles across the state from North Texas to target Hispanics in the border community. The now 22-year-old shooter decried uh, in what he, the word he used was invasion uh, by immigrants to the United States in the post. While COVID has disrupted gatherings of friends and family, parks across the city will honor the lost with lights and orange ribbons against gun violence. And lastly, a sharp rise in homicides this year is hitting large U.S. cities throughout the nation, signaling a brand new public safety threat unleashed during the coronavirus pandemic and amid recession and a national backlash against police tactics. 
There have been a total of 777 recorded shootings in New York City from January 1st throughout the end of July, which is more than New York City had in the calendar year of 2019. The month of July was exceptionally violent in Chicago with 105 homicides and 584 shootings reported. According to Eduardo Bocenegra, uh, Senior Director of Ready Chicago, spelled R-E-A-D-I, um, the recession and coronavirus lockdowns have hurt programs aimed at curbing violence. So yeah, a few stories from what's going on out there of just the pushback against us really coming together, being together. Now over to our friend Andrew Hanauer for our next segment, hashtag love your neighbor with One America. Thanks, Calvin. I appreciate it. I think um, those last couple stories really tie in a lot to what we're talking about in terms of the attack on togetherness. Um, but first, I just want to say congrats to everyone in American Awakening. You guys have had a big week launching your concert, which is incredible. Uh, launching John's book, also incredible. So, um, you know, for everyone out there, just want to join everyone out there and congratulating all of you guys on the, on the work that you're doing. Uh, it's really fantastic stuff. And I'm, I'm really honored personally to be, to be a part of it in a small way. You know, it, it's uh, this moment that we're in um, the divisions in our society. I think they're manifesting in, in, in a number of different ways, right? Um, the El Paso uh, shooting is an example of the worst form of them. Polarization is not just about disagreeing with someone or, you know, oh, I, I'm pro-life and you're pro-choice and geez, I don't like that about you. Um, it's really about how societies get torn apart. And when you get torn apart and you get farther and farther away from another group, it becomes inevitable that you would start to believe or that groups would start to talk about the only solution to uh, the current situation is to defeat those people and then defeat can morph farther and farther into, into violence. Um, these are dynamics that we've seen um, in other countries, we've seen the rhetoric in this country get worse. Um, and for people who feel like that's an over, overly alarmist position, I would just say that, you know, we work with a lot of uh, folks who have worked in other countries around the world, um, in East Asia and East Africa, Eastern Europe, um, who have been working on violent conflicts, who started working in the United States a few years ago because the, the, the things they were seeing here um, worried them. We're not, we're not beyond saving, right? We're not too far gone. But the trend line was really bad. Um, and so I think it's important that we get uh, under control. I think the second uh, story that Calvin mentions is also important, right? We have this narrative that, that either your position is coronavirus bad, therefore everything we should do is to fight that. Or your position is coronavirus is fake and it's just, you know, it doesn't matter and just go live your life. Um, and I think lost in that is the, is the ability for us as a society to have some nuance and govern in a, in a substantive way and say, yes, coronavirus is real and it's, it's killing people. And the impact of the economic shutdown, the lockdowns on, on emotional and mental health, on communities is significant and that we have to balance those things as we make decisions about how to, how to mitigate the virus. But what I wanted to mention briefly today is, is what's going on in our brains when, when we're going through these dynamics. But one of the concepts that we talk about when we talk about the neuroscience of polarization is what we call meta perceptions, right? Which is, what do I think you think of me? And we do this all the time. We do it on dates. I went on a date last night. I didn't do it much because I was going on a date with a person I've been married to for 11 years. But uh, when you go on a first date, you're, you're thinking that, right? You're thinking, what does this person think of me? And as it turns out in society, 
groups do this. So Democrats ask themselves, what do we think Republicans think of Democrats? And the more negative we think they think of us, the more negative we act back towards them. And so what we need to create in the society in part, if we're going to be be better together and we're going to win the war against sort of the divisiveness that we're seeing is we have to fight these meta perceptions. We have to fight this concept that there are these groups of people out there who in vast numbers are utterly you know, committed to your destruction. Um, obviously, there are people out there who are part of hate groups and things like that that really do want to hurt people. That's serious. That's real. Um, I'm talking about the perceptions of our neighbors, of people you don't know who are on Facebook, people you don't know who voted differently than you. In large numbers, we overestimate. Every study shows how negatively they feel towards us. So my conversation started for you guys is, is this concept of meta perceptions. What do you, how have you experienced that? What do you think about when you think about meta perceptions and, and the position that we're in as a country right now? You know, I read this quote the other day. Um, and it's it's through a Christian lens. But um, the quote was something like, um, what other people think about me is is between like them and Jesus, and that's none of my business. And like, it's one of those things where like, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, okay, I guess it isn't any of my business what you think of me. Because that is kind of like your business. It's not really your business, I guess, what I think of you. And I guess larger in terms of, you know, forgetting whether you even pay attention to it or not, but not allowing yourself to be impacted by what you are probably thinking incorrectly about what other people are thinking about you. We all have a hard enough time getting ourselves under control, getting a handle on sort of where we're coming from. The second you, you know, dedicate yourself to reacting out of how you think other people see you, I mean, nine times out of 10, you're wrong. <laughs> At least I found that. I mean, I can, I can, you know, and Calvin will tell you, I'll come in in the morning. I'll be like, uh, what did I, I, I said to you, what did I say to you first thing today? I don't know. I said something like, cause you had injured your finger. And I was like, were you, were you always like that as a kid? Like, were, were you always like, like having scrapes or bumps? Or like, like, were you just doing that all the time? And you kind of looked at me and I don't know. I think I was like, I, I don't know. Anyway. It, it didn't matter what Calvin thought about me when I said that. What matters is that, like, I needed to just deal with him based on what he was saying and how we deal with one another. We get caught up in our own stuff so often, and it really can be to the detriment of our relationships. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm thinking of even marriage for me. How many times with the person that I know the best in the entire world that I apply intentions and thoughts to her that she never thought. And it gets me in so much trouble every single time. And so if I do that with with my wife of 17 years, how do we think we're doing this with complete strangers on the opposite side of the political spectrum? And so, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, folks, let's just wake up and realize how often we get it wrong. And, and we, we need to just chill out and have a little bit of grace and apply, you know, some sort of some version that's like, you know, I don't want to be too too flippant about it, but some version of like, assume the best about people. Um, now, I think, you know, humanity is broken. If theologically, I believe we we have the capacity for great evil and darkness and, and sin, but that doesn't mean we can't give someone, lean into, as Lincoln would say, the better angels. You know, what Lincoln said in Better Angels, I don't think, he wasn't saying like, 
we're all angels and we all have this great part of it. It's like in us all, there is a side that is God's image. And the more we assume that about you and draw that out of you, you know, the act of doing that actually creates it more than the act of assuming the worst, which again, feeds the worst assumptions, um, which I think is really critical. So that was just a few thoughts I had. Yeah, I don't think that's being flippant at all. I think that's, you know, by saying assume the best about people, because I mean, the truth is that's one of the hardest things I think ever to do about people. I mean, it, it's in our nature to, to feel like I'm right, you're wrong. If you're dealing with me in a way that I don't like, it's clearly about you. It's it's like, you know, we, we jump to it always being about other people when, I mean, it really does take work to like leave your place, enter into the world, be assuming the best about people, assuming that nobody's nobody's trying to cut you off because they hate you. Nobody's trying to take your space because they got it out for you. Nobody, you know, like people are just going through their own thing and, you know, yeah, extending grace because most people are just trying to do the best that they can. That I mean, if, if everybody assumed the best, I mean, how different would things be from day to day? So, so you didn't take my parking spot because you hate me. Okay, okay, that's good, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah, I feel like also probably just as hard is, you know, I, I think I'd post two questions. The first is like, what do you think of you? You know, because I find for myself, a lot of the kind of meta perceptions that I end up projecting, it, or it, it seems like a projection of myself, like my own insecurities and my mm-hmm. own fears, right? That's right. In, yep. in the areas that I, I feel like I'm lacking or broken, it seems like I, I end up playing those up, you know, turning up the dial way high, you know, as far as do I think that the other people see that brokenness in me? And so, yeah, I, you know, I wonder if, if maybe what it starts is, is how we look at ourselves. How do we p- perceive ourselves? Which would kind of lead into my second point, which is how, you know, how would, again, this is a faith lens, but how does God see you? You know, with the brokenness that that you're talking about, Joel, but if you are seen as this work in progress that is being continually redeemed and that in, in heaven they are rejoicing over you and that there is a father, an eternal father, a king of the universe that is looking down and says like, yeah, that that's my son, that's my daughter, like he's mine and I'm proud that he's mine, you know, even knowing the mistakes, even knowing that you cut someone off or even knowing that you stole someone's parking space like Marissa did this morning. Um, that <laughs> she's still, she's you are still telling loved. tales out of school, Calvin. <laughs> she is, okay. She's still loved and, and that there is a father in heaven who is, who is forever proud of her. You know, I wonder if you start to look at yourself through that lens, how much that could change how, how you feel you're being perceived by others. So, so I want to get super real for a minute. Um, so watch out. So I'm gonna talk politics because, you know, I I am someone who, if anybody who knows me knows that I have vocally and sacrificially opposed the president and Trumpism, and I wrestle every day because I love a lot of people who support the president and who voted for the president. And so, how do I assume the best about someone with whom I deeply disagree, and how do I then reach them in a way that doesn't put that position about one political issue, which is very important to me, but doesn't put that above like the image of God in them. And and it is super hard for me because I just want to, honestly, if I'm being real, I just want to like totally disregard certain folks. Like, you know, to, to I want to participate in cancel culture and be like, nope, you're canceled because you did that. And yet, and yet, like the whole thing we're trying to do is like, no, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on that person. 
we may never agree. And somehow I got to figure out a way to love that person anyways, because that is what Jesus called me to do. And man, it's hard. It is really hard to assume the best about someone when you know certain things about them to be true already. You know, so you're not assuming certain things, certain things you know to be true because they've said it. And then to still apply that image of God, uh, benefit of the doubt kind of a thing. It's hard for me. I, I don't have an answer, but it's hard. Well, I was going to say it's interesting because I was, I was listening to you, right? I was thinking about how, to me, it comes down to real talk. We mostly only want to believe that some people are worthy of our love. Because like when you love somebody, you, you're agreeing to overlook some of the things that maybe aren't your favorite things about them, but you recognize the thing that's beyond the differences. And it's easy to be like, you know what? I only got so much place in my heart for people. I want to give the love to the people I want to give the love to. And the rest of y'all, good luck. But like, that's the, that's the sticking point with this Jesus life kind of thing, right? That you're supposed to love and love and love and love and love. And quite honestly, deal with the rest of it on your knees if, if you really care about people, right? That like, quite honestly, where you're really asking for change to happen is, yeah, one-to-one, but also on your knees, like praying for people. Because you know, especially that like when people are either sometimes, um, when they're putting themselves and their feelings and their desires above other people, sometimes even voting that way, right? That's about them. That's about wherever they're at. And so if you really want to impact people, you're not like talking to them about like, don't you know you're wrong? You're really interceding for them somehow in a way of love that whatever the stuff is, it would get somehow rightly aligned. And that's like the, the voting, that's like your brother, that's like, you know, that's like your wife, that's like all of us, right? It's just that some of us were willing to, to go to bat for in ways that are really important. And some of us were not willing to really do that kind of work for. And I totally agree. And I, this is where I get excited as a Christian who does the work I do, because this is where God and the neuroscience are utterly aligned. Mm. You do the thing that feels good, which is tell someone that they're wrong. Their brains go, Whoop, I don't want to hear anything you have to say, right? If you do the thing that feels good and says, I'm going to create this complicated litmus test that shows that I'm on the right side of this arbitrary line I created and they're on the wrong side of it. You never reach them. You never change anything. You feel worse and worse. It gets worse and worse. When you do what Marissa just said, when you just love them, when you show them that you don't dislike them as much as they think you do, all those things that are totally in line with what Jesus teaches are the things that actually work to change people's perceptions, their attitudes, their behaviors. Um, to change the world. Mm. And that's, that's, what, that's what's really cool to me. Science and faith are lined up. Mm. I know Brother Andrew has to go, so we, we, we can't hold him against his will. But thank you so much for this, Andrew. Um, this, was, this is really important. And that kind of humility that if we can all have that, like, yo, we're all works in progress. We're, we're all wrong about some things. We all got some times when it's really just about wanting to prove people wrong or wanting to fight some other battle. That has nothing to do with the love of Christ. So yeah, Lord, help us. Show us how to continue to, uh, to, to try to be more like you and want to be less like, like us, you know. Thank you for that, Andrew. That's great. Well, 
I think that it's probably time for a segment we haven't had in a while. That's the movie line of the day. I, I, think, I think it's important to get back to why we really do this show and <laughs> the things that are most important. So uh, we have a line today um, that sort of epitomizes so much of what we're talking about. And uh, again, in a very serious, um, very serious way. So if we can all pay close attention and uh, bring our most serious selves to this, that'd be great. Roll the clip, Marina, please. We're the Avengers. We can bust arms dealers all the live long day, but that up there, that's, that's the end game. How are you guys planning on beating them? Together. So deep, so long, so serious. That's right, y'all. How, how are we going to beat the stuff that's going on up there? How are we going to beat that, that real stuff? The only way we're going to do it is together. The fight against togetherness. Uh, just so you all know, we are going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus um, because we are in a we're in a transformative sort of uh, figuring out, Lord, where would you have us be positioned? So this is going to be our last show of the week. We will be back next week um, after we will have hashed out a whole lot of American awakening goodness this week. That's what lies in store. Keep us in your, in your prayers, y'all, because, uh, you know, we, we've had a, an amazing sort of first iteration. When we come back to you next week, we're going to have some uh, some more ideas about what's coming in phase two. So look out for that. JBJ, would you play us out? You hold the reins on the sun and the moon Like horses driven by kings You cover the mountains, the valleys below With the breath of your mighty wings All treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside of your hands and in this fortunate turn of events you ask me to be your friend you ask me to be your friend
God is our future and our past. We don't have to have fear about where we're going. He's seen us through. He's got our backs. It's all good. I thank you for that, JBJ. Thank you for that reminder. And uh, you've got till midnight to watch the concert. I know there were so many people who talked about how just it, it, it touched them. They were really blessed to have been able to watch. They enjoyed, you know, seeing all of their favorite folks together. Well, fear not. You can, again, on YouTube until Tuesday at midnight. If you want a direct link, just come to the American Awakening website, AmericanAwakening.us. Go to concert, and you'll be transported there right away. And yeah, guys, again, have a great week. God is for us. God is with us, regardless of what's going on in the news, regardless of what's going on with corona or any of the other things that are trying to take us out, trying to take our joy. Joy is a choice. As uh, For King and Country reminded us during the concert, choose joy today. Remember God's for you, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Take care. Bye-bye. American Awakening is a campaign for the soul of America, committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. American Awakening is Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Gary Lancaster, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, Joel Searby, and me, Marissa Prince. And the show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts. Learn more about us by visiting our website at AmericanAwakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.